This morning, I'd like us to pray a prayer of illumination, um, a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our ears to the Word of God. And so you have the words up on the screen or you have them on your um, handout. And so we're going to pray this out loud together. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And the text this morning I'm going to read, and I'd like you to follow along on the handout from the New Living Translation, a little bit more contemporary translation that I appreciated for this particular passage. And so um, the reading of the word from Luke 11, 33 to 36. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. This is the word of the Lord. And so, the wonderful, wonderful light. And as I reflected on this passage about darkness and light, a little bit of my own feelings about the darkness of winter here in Michigan came to my mind. And so I thought, well, let me just look at some of the statistics about, is it really as cloudy and gray as I think it is up here in Michigan? You all remember I didn't grow up in Michigan, right? So I did a little research, and we made the top 100 cloudiest cities, the least amount of sunshine. I think we were number 29. And then in the winter, there's such heavy cloud coverage. It just looked at metropolitan cities, but Detroit was up there with 88% of the days of winter under heavy cloud coverage. And I imagine since we're over here on the west side and lake affects snow, ours would be at least equal, if not more, cloudy. I don't know if it affects you or not, but I just really um, appreciated yesterday and the full sunshine, right? But before our trip to North Carolina, it just seemed like there had been a lot of gray days And I really, really was looking forward to a few days down a little further south to go to that conference, and I thought, there's going to be some sunshine. And maybe some of you heard that we had 20 inches of snow in the mountains. 
So that's true. It did. It, it snowed for over 24 hours, uh, and it was beautiful. But um, the day that we left, the sun was out in full glory. The sky was blue. Everything was sparkling. Now, um, I was driving, so I asked James, a pastor from Seattle, if he could snap some pictures, and he didn't send them to me. So this is something that is similar to what I saw once I got off of the mountain and was on the side roads. Before I got out to the main roads, everything was sparkling and white and bright, and the sky was so blue. And then when I got in the airport, and you know how you walk down that little tube? What is that called? Come on, somebody, I don't know if it's the tarmac. I don't know. You walk down this thing to get into the plane. And there was a little gap between that tube and the airplane. And the line happened to stop because people needed to put their overhead stuff in. And I was delighted that my friend Mary and I were standing in this place where the sun was just coming full force. The wind was blocked. It was so sunny. Our our faces just automatically went up. I felt like we were sunflowers, like, oh, you know. <laughs> Where is that sun? Oh, it was just the way it's, I don't know, the way I think it's supposed to be, right? So I'm just, oh, the sun is so warm and bright and beautiful. And then we got in the plane, and um, Mary's by the window, and she left the shade up the whole time, and she said, Gina, it is sunny up here the whole way, and there's no clouds, so I can see the ground all the way, and I'm not really wanting to look down at those grounds in those cities, but she watched them all the way till we got just about to Grand Rapids, and there was the clouds. And then we went through the clouds, and the sun went bye-bye, and, oh, man, oh, I just really was sad that that sun went away. I loved the light, and I really, really don't like it when it stays gray and dark. And the world was much more gray and dark waiting for Jesus. It, it maybe not was the heavy, dark clouds of the sky, but it was a spiritual darkness waiting for a word from the Lord. It had been hundreds of years And then Jesus came on the scene, and the brightness of God started to be revealed on earth. And yet there were people who actually wanted to shut out this light, this glory, the kingdom of light had hit the earth. And when Jesus started his ministry, all of a sudden there was all this goodness, this light, his message gave hope to people that you're God has not forgotten you, and I'm here, and I'm with you. And he starts to do these miraculous things and pronounce the kingdom of God is among you. And yet, there was this reaction, and the reaction came from his own people. And I want you to remember a few weeks back, we were in Luke a little earlier, and we talked about people who didn't even worship El Elyon, God Most High. They were worshiping other gods, and yet when they heard a message like the Ninevites, remember radical terrorists, the Ninevites, when they heard repent, they all repented from the kings right on down. They responded to that message of light and hope, and they were saved. And what happened when the Queen of Sheba came? She came, what was it, 1,400 miles? 
to hear the wisdom of Solomon, to hear messages of wisdom that were given from God. And she was so amazed. I mean, I read the account over again in the Old Testament this week, and it made me think, Lord, give us a a leader, a Christian leader with wisdom like this that kings and queens and leaders from other countries would come and would be so amazed that they would end up leaving that meeting giving praise to you, Lord. The queen of Sheba came and she gave praise. And what were his own religious leaders doing when he, when Jesus was manifesting the kingdom of God, let your kingdom come? Let your will be done here. What was happening? Jesus knew they were thinking about wanting to snuff it out, wanting to cover it up, wanting to cover up this light because Jesus was the light. And they were just thinking, couldn't we just put a basket or a box or a clay bowl over this? Jesus knew that they wanted to maybe... Put him in prison. A basket would look kind of like, with light coming through, would look like prison bars, wouldn't it? Oh, let's put him in a basket. Let's put this light in a basket. Let's put this light under a clay bowl that would block off the oxygen and snuff it out. Would that be possible? No, they tried that. It comes later in the story of Luke. They tried to snuff out that light. He was resurrected. You are not putting out the light of Jesus Christ. All right, But there was a different reaction here, and Jesus knew it. And that's why he said those words, No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Jesus was modeling a public kingdom ministry. Think about it. One of the commentators said Jesus didn't just go, he didn't go and just preach exclusively in corners. He preached in the synagogue. He preached on the streets. He didn't come just with wise and persuasive words. He came with demonstrations of the kingdom's power. He was healing. He was casting out demons. He was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. You are near the kingdom. It was very, very public. And so sometimes when I've read this passage about um, no one lights the lamp and so forth, I think, oh, Jesus must have been addressing those Pharisees. But then there's also not just the audience of the religious leaders that were there, but there's his disciples. And remember, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And these ten chapters that we're in the midst of here in Luke is Jesus walking his way story by story that we need to hear teaching, training, mentoring his disciples. And so he's not only teaching them that your ministry and my ministry is going to be public, he's teaching us, church. He's teaching us that our ministry is meant to be public. We're supposed to publicly be a light that is radiating out, that won't be put under a bushel basket or under a clay pot. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Now, we are in a culture 
All right, I've got a picture up there, and I just better tell you, I am not saying that Marco Rubio is my candidate. So, all right, just get over it. I'll get there in a minute. Stay with me. I can just tell some of you are looking and going, I saw that presidential debate. All right, we'll get there. We are in a culture where there's intolerant tolerance. So what I'm saying is that people don't want you to say that there's any absolutes, that there's any absolute truth. But if you say that there is truth, then they want to tell you that you're being intolerant. And yet, actually, if, there's, if we're going to be tolerant, then it should be equal tolerance. And there should be the ability to speak what one believes, and that's actually, in our Constitution, the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech. And so, as I listened to the presidential debate, and I'm not even saying that that particular party is the better party, I just was listening. I wasn't watching the whole thing, but I was listening, and I was studying, and I was listening, and all of a sudden, I hear the moderator ask Marco Rubio a question. And it was something like this, paraphrased, it's not a quote, but something like this. Um, I believe it was Time had reported a cover story that Rush Limbaugh and some other leaders had said that Marco Rubio was the savior of the Republican Party and that he most likely would become president. And so they ask Marco Rubio in a question about his poll status in Florida and what did that say to the situation for the Iowa voters. Hey, Marco Rubio, you've been said, it's been said that you were um, the savior of the Republican Party. And so what does he do without missing a beat? He says, I just want to make clear that on that, on that cover story, there's only one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ, and he came to the earth to pay for our sins. And about that poll, and he just went right on. But my ears perked up. I just heard a candidate say the name of Jesus Christ and that he came as Savior to die for our sins. That is letting your light shine publicly. As Christians, we're called to not hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And the name of Jesus needs to be readily on our lips because he's our Savior. He's the one that's forgiven us our sins. He's the one that we've been singing praise to this morning. And we're saying, let your kingdom come here. Now, down in North Carolina, I had the opportunity to meet with some of the leaders. Some of you know that I'm getting ready to go to England in a few weeks to teach. And so some of the leaders from that conference were down in North Carolina. And so we met to talk about the upcoming conference. And what they told me was they said that the condition of many of the churches are dire, that they're aging and the young people aren't coming in, that they are losing people, that the hostile conditions in the United Kingdom toward Christianity, it's not just a tolerance, but it's an anti-Christian view, so much so that they told me that there was proposed legislation that would make it, if passed, illegal to say that Jesus was the only way. 
to the Father. Now think about the consequences of that when you're trying to let your light shine. Think about that. And that's what they face. And that's what I'm going in to try to bring encouragement and hope. And so it makes me, before the Lord, Lord, am I bold for you? Am I willing to say your name anywhere, anytime? Do anything that you ask me to do. Pray for somebody. Cast out a demon. Speak the gospel that Jesus came to die for your sins. If I meet somebody in the grocery store, if I meet somebody on the sidewalk, am I willing to let my light shine? Church, the Lord has called us to be very public. It's not a private faith exclusively, although there is a a part of our relationship with the Lord that is so sweet and so intimate. But it's also, we're corporately called to let our light shine, and it's very, very public. Now Jesus, in this next section of scripture from 34 to 36, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When it's bad, your body is filled with darkness. You start to hear this. There's light. There's darkness. There's the eye. He's teaching with things that people, it's by metaphor, it's um, things that people can relate to. He's teaching using images that people can relate to. He's talking about light. And so in the natural, light is very vital Um, We don't have life without light. We don't have warmth without light. We don't have food without light to make the plants grow. We need light for security. That's why at night people put a campfire if they're Bear grills or somebody that's living out in the wilderness, right? Keep Keep the animals, the wild animals back. They need some fire there. They need some light. There's guidance that comes. Your word is a light unto our path. Right? A lamp and a light. We need that light for guidance. And so there's this imagery of light. There's not only people that are trying to shut out the light, but the Lord's saying, you're supposed to be bearers of my light. You're supposed to radiate my light. But what comes against it? These images of darkness in the Bible, the images of darkness are sin, depravity, Evil, danger, kind of that's associated with darkness. And then there's this image of the eye. And so what's this all about with the healthy eyes and the unhealthy eyes? Well, Jesus is talking about the eye as a gate. What you're, you know, a gate lets things in or keeps things out, right? So your eyes, in some ways, are gates for your body. So what you're looking at, you're allowing to come in. And what, when you close your eye, when you don't pay attention to something, then you're keeping it out. And so your eye is a gate. Your eye is something that would allow healthy things and good things. If your eyes are healthy and you're looking at the Lord with sincerity and wholeheartedness and a desire to know him more, that's a healthy eye looking at the Lord. An unhealthy eye would be skepticism. An unhealthy eye would be um, things that Pastor Dave's going to preach about next week, and I don't want to get into the next text, although it's so tempting. 
when you love the whole word of God, it's hard to put little boundaries and say, we're going to preach on these verses. But anyway, stay tuned and come back next week to hear some of the things that were unhealthy in some of those people's eyes that were there, right? They're looking at Jesus through darkness. Um, Pastor Dave a few weeks ago talked about living water and how that we're supposed to be have streams of living water flowing out of us, but if there's sin, it contaminates, right? It contaminates. So the, the um, sludge and the under-the-water stones and things, remember that imagery that he talked about, the living water and how it can be contaminated and polluted, just like Flint's water supply, contaminated and polluted? Well, our eyes, if we have, have unholiness, if there's darkness in us, even when we're looking, there's this idea that it can be contaminated, that what we're seeing isn't really clear. Our vision gets blurry because of sin in us. Deception comes with sin. Isaiah 5.20 seems like it ties pretty well with this passage. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Confusing darkness and light. The religious leaders of that day, God's, God's people, people that were supposed to be helping God's people, and they were getting darkness and light mixed up. They had added so many rules that there was no joy in being one of God's children, I don't think, because there were so many levels of rules And they were trusting. Their faith wasn't in God anymore. It was in the rules and the traditions. Confusing darkness and light. Calvin um, College just had a three-week course called Spiritual Strength Training. Were any of you there? A couple of you were there as leaders. Um, So one of the students publicly stood up and shared a testimony at the end of the class And I was told about her testimony. And it was a testimony of being in a particular church that had much tradition and many rules. And that she felt safe because she was kind of under this basket of rules. And yet she trusted in those rules and the tradition and the ritual of when she would go and what she would do in those um, services. But she knew about God, but she didn't know him personally. She knew about him, but what she really was trusting in for her salvation was this basket that she was under of all these rules and traditions. And how that through learning more about a loving God who wants a personal relationship with each one of his children, that all of a sudden she said, it may not be as safe as I would like it to be, But I want to know that living God, and I'm following that living God now, and I'm trusting in him for my salvation, and I'm not trusting in some of this other stuff that I was before. And so the Lord brought clarity, right? Deception doesn't have to rule, but it has to be exposed for what it is, and then we have to understand what the truth is. And so verse 35, I had us read it in the New Living Translation, but in the NIV, I like it this way. It says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it. That verb tense is a constant command. 
It's saying, keep on keeping on watching out. Keep watching out and making sure that the light within you is not darkness. So be on watch. Be, right, like military has watches. You know, you serve a certain time frame that you're on. Well, it's the time frame that we're on. The Lord's saying constantly, constantly, constantly. Watch out that darkness isn't creeping in and pretending to be light. And Alita, one of our board members, called me yesterday, and she gave me permission to share this. She has an eye disease, and so we were talking about this text. She has an eye disease where the diagnosis is not good, and that unless the Lord intervenes, that there will eventually be blindness. She is very, very cautious about her eyesight. Any little change, and she calls the doctor because she values her vision. She values being able to see light and see. And so when that changed, she called the doctor, and the doctor said there's leaking around the retina, and so we're going to need to put an injection in your eye. And she said, Pastor Gina, I really don't look forward to that, but I really want my eyesight to be preserved. Do we care that much about our spiritual eyesight? Are we watching carefully? Are we willing to go to any cost, bring it in our problem right out in the open to anybody to get help? Because we want to make sure that we're seeing light and calling it light. We're seeing darkness and calling it darkness. Our identity is to be image bearers, to be walking as radiant image bearers. And so how do we do this? The scripture gives us some hints here in some of the things that Jesus tells us. We're to tend the lamp. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And so that lamp, I started thinking about lamps, and I thought about this lamp that was a gift to me, an oil-burning lamp. And then I started researching, and actually the picture up there of a little clay lamp where there would be an opening to pour in the oil and then the flame comes out the other side is more authentic for biblical times. It doesn't hold much oil. It needs to keep being refilled with the oil. And I think Jesus was using that picture to tell us, if you're going to have eyes that can see and you're going to let light in, you're going to need the oil of the Holy Spirit filling you and filling you and filling you so that you can keep on constant watch. And so, tending the lamp, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're getting ready to sing a song in a little bit. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. Lord, open the eyes of my heart so that I can spiritually see you every day and see what you're about around me in the world. See what your word is telling me. And that goes to the next thing. Think on truth the lord would have us to think about because jesus is the word right jesus is the word and so his light was the word coming in and we need to be thinking about his word thinking about his truth and so this week i was meditating on a scripture and i liked it so well i sent it to myself on my phone so that i could pull it up in my messages and reflect on it all day long And it was about be completely humble and bear with one another. And so then I'm thinking about be completely humble. And I'm meditating on that scripture. 
And then one of our staff says, I'd like to meet with you and talk about, I'd like to get some wisdom about blah, 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 whatever it is. And immediately I felt tempted. Well, yes, he wants to come and talk to me and get some wisdom. That's great. And immediately the Lord brought that scripture to my mind. Be completely humble. And I immediately texted back and said, I look forward to us meeting so that we can pray and seek the Lord for wisdom. Do you hear the difference? Do you see how you have to just be ruthless about it? But it's the scripture that brings these sins and these temptations so that you can even be aware of what, how the enemy would try to come against us. And so the scripture being central in our lives, and we need the truth of God's love, even as Pastor Dave was praying about how our sins have been nailed to the cross. And that we can walk around full of joy no matter what circumstance. Even if we're still struggling with a sin in our lives, we can know that we're forgiven. And we just need to bring these things out into the light. And this is what I want to talk about. And what the Lord tells us is to take the corners. Now when my mom taught me to clean, she taught me two things. There's round cleaning and there's square cleaning. Round cleaning goes like this, and you just kind of quickly go around things, and you don't lift things up. And square cleaning is when you go, you lift everything up, and you get all the way to the corners, and you get underneath everything. The Lord wants us to take the corners of our lives. He wants to keep, have us keep unwrapping the gift of holiness. Remember Pastor Dave said holiness was a gift that had been given to us, but we need to keep unwrapping that gift of holiness. We need to put sin to death so that it doesn't kill us. There are things in the corner of our lives that if we let them grow, it's like that mold down after a hurricane where it starts just growing somewhere and then it starts spreading and pretty soon the whole house is lethal. You can't even live in it anymore. Well, we sin is like that. It wants to take over. It wants to grow in our lives. And so the Lord would have us to take the corners, to bring the sin out, to show, to reveal what that is. He wants to meet us, his presence, meeting us, his love, his truth. Maybe we're going back to that thing or letting that thing grow like that little um, unforgiveness. You know, that was way in the past what happened. And so I'm just going to live in the present and I'm not going to go back there anymore. But that thing is in the corner of your life and there's unforgiveness. And every time that somebody hits and says a certain thing or does a certain thing, it triggers a button because there's unforgiveness back there. The Lord wants us to bring it to the light. He wants to meet us, to speak truth to us about those things, to tell us of his love for us, to tell us, I don't know what he wants to tell you. He wants to tell you how much he loves you, I know. Maybe he wants to tell you that he was there with you in that moment. Maybe he wants to remind you that he's sustained you through that thing. I don't know what it is in the corners of your life, but this season that the church has been in this month of holiness, of focusing on holiness, and the Lord's invitation to us to consider what it means to be holy, even as he is holy. He's asking us to take the corners. And we can thank God for his hope 
faith-filled promise. The way this verse is written, if you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. If, then. The way it's written in the original language is, if this, well then of course, you'll be radiant. If you are filled with light, then your life will be radiant. It's written hopeful. It's written expectant, a yes. It's written to say yes. When you ask the Lord to fill you with his presence and with his light and with his truth, your light is going to be radiant. It's not going to be just a little flame. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this scripture is not just written to individuals. It's written to God's people. And so there's a corporate sense that if we are filled with his light, then we as a church and the church worldwide will be radiant against a darkness. And so no matter whether that darkness is trying to cause us to want to like put it under a bushel, we're saying, no, no, our light is supposed to shine. And the way that we do that is the same way we would do it individually, with praying and tending to the lamp, asking the Lord to help us understand truth, to take the corners. Maybe there's some things corporately that he would have us do. And it starts in prayer. I think it was um, Calvin that said that anything that the Lord promises, that then we're to dig it up, dig up those treasures in prayer. And so the Lord promises this, this, that we can be filled with light and that our lives can be radiant. But how do we get there? Well, we need to pray about it and we need to ask him and we need to dig for it. And so we're starting, the board has felt led to call us to a season of praying. Praying as a church. Praying for revival. And when we think about revival, what does it mean? We're praying for a church that is full of the light of Christ that would be like a radiant bride. Anna, I think it was on Wednesday that we were in prayer together and there was this picture that came to mind of a bride who would get already, Anna and Neil are going to get married in just a number of days. Not very many. So exciting. And I said, this picture is not a picture of what's going to happen to you, but I had the image in my mind of what if a bride thought her dress was all ready and went to pull it out to put it on and it was all tattered and torn and dirty. What you thought was light was darkness. Well, Jesus is coming for a radiant bride in a a dress that's spotless and clean and without wrinkle. And how do we get there, church? We don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it in our own power. We do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what the Father wants to glorify Jesus. And we are a church that is absolutely committed that the Lord, his love wants to change our hearts and our neighborhood and the world. We need to be radiant. We need to be that that no matter whether it's light or dark outside, that there would be such a brightness, such a love, such a beauty about our community 
that it would be noticeable and it would be attractive, just like the crowds that were swarming Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you make us holy? Lord, would you open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see you? Lord, would you give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Lord, you say that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Lord, we want to be radiant because we want you to be famous. We don't want to be famous, Lord. We want you to be famous. And so would you help us? Would you help us to walk this out as we seek to be filled with your light, your love, your truth, so that we might offer hope to those that we encounter? Lord, stir up our hearts with a desire to see you and know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.